to implement, you would never. This is three years before. This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will strengthen the messenger. 25 million people are expected to be in Karbala. Ibn Abbas, I know some of you know this story. At many times, the event of Ashura which took place in the year 680, 61 years after the migration of Rasulullah from Mecca to Medina, on the 10th of Muharram in the city of Karbala. This event is referred to as a result of the appointment of Yazid ibn Muawiyah as the Khalifa of the Muslims. And as Yazid became the Khalifa, he asked his governor in Medina to seek an allegiance for him from Imam Abu Abdullah al Hussein. And of course, the result was that Imam Hussein refused to give this allegiance to Yazid. And he embarked on this journey, this great journey of sacrifice. And he left Medina to Mecca and Mecca to Karbala. Many people see the event of Ashura and the sacrifice of Imam Hussein as the result of the fact that Yazid became the Khalifa of the Muslims. And Imam Hussein, in his very famous lines, in his very famous sermon, discusses this issue and he says, إِنِّي لَمْ أَخْرُجْ أَشْرًا وَلَا بَطِرًا وَلَا مُفْسِدًا بَلْ خَرَجْتُ لِإِصْلَاحِ أُمَّةِ جَدِّي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ لِكَيْ آمُرَ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَأَنْهَا عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ وَأَسِيرُ عَلَى سِيرَةِ جَدِّي وَأَبِي وَهَذَا يَزِيدْ رَجُلٌ فَاسِقٌ فَاجِرٌ شَارِبٌ لِلْخَمْرِ he says that I do not embark on this journey but for the following reason. And Imam Hussein is very particular in choosing his words and how he states his mission statement, his ultimate mission statement. He says, I do not embark on this journey but for the following reasons. Meaning, years down the line, people can't come and say, well, Imam Hussein stated the reasons why he was leaving to Karbala, but we also are on the opinion that those also could have been other reasons why Imam Hussein went to Karbala. And they would state their own theories and their own opinions, alongside the reasons that Imam Hussein stated. But Imam Hussein was very particular. He says, I do not leave but for the following reasons. Mean there is no other reason for me to embark on this journey. 
For the sake of popularity, for the sake of fame, for the sake of khilafah. But I have embarked on this journey to perfect the ummah, to purify the ummah of my grandfather Rasulullah. Until he continues to say, and this Yazid, this man, is a drunken man who disrespects the human dignity. This was the main reason why Imam Hussein had an issue with Yazid. Because Yazid would take the believers who rejected to give him the bay'ah, he would strip them off their clothes, he would cut off their right hand and left foot, and he would throw them in the street so that, would, so that they would become a lesson for others. So Imam Hussein says, وَهَذَا يَزِيدُ رَجُلٌ شَارِبٌ لِلْخَمْرِ مُبِيحٌ لِلنَّفْسِ الْمُحْتَرَمَةِ and he's given me two options. Death or humiliation. And Hussein will never humiliate himself for Yazid. However, when we examine the event of Ashura, we should not examine the event of Ashura from the beginning of the Khilafah of Yazid. Or we should not examine the day of Ashura from the day that Imam Hussein left Medina to Mecca and to Karbala. And indeed, we should not examine the event of Ashura from the morning of the 10th of Muharram until the eve of Muharram, until the 10th, the night of the 10th of Muharram. But the event of Ashura and the sacrifice of Imam Hussein was well in the making for 48 years. And this is what I'd like to discuss tonight. And both parties knew, the side of Haq knew of the sacrifice of Hussein and was completely aware of what will happen to Hussein. And the side of Batil was constantly planning for at least 48 years and knew that the result will be the murder of Hussein. The side of Haq, Um Salama narrates in Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim that one day Hussein was three years old and he entered the chamber of Um Salama. And Um Salama tried to stop him. She said to him, your grandfather is resting. Rasulullah said, Um Salama, allow him into the bedroom. He came. Um Salama said, Rasulullah began to play with him. Rasulullah began to kiss him. Rasulullah began to allow him to ride his back. She said, I left, I came back, and I saw Rasulullah in tears. His beard was full of tears. I said to him, Ya Rasulullah, what is it that makes you cry? Why is it that you're full of tears? He said, Um Salama, Jibra'il just came and he informed me that my grandson Hussein, my beloved Hussein, will be murdered by some of my own Ummah. And he gave me some of the soil of Karbala. And he showed me the event of Ashura. 
Om Salama, take the soil. <coughs> and know when the soil turns into blood, that Hussein has become a martyr. So the side of Haq knew. Rasulullah informed all his companions. Abu Huraira in Sahih Muslim narrates that Rasulullah, that he saw Rasulullah carrying Imam Hussein. And he said to him, Oh Abu Huraira, do you know who this man is when Imam Hussein was an infant? So he said to him, Yes, he's the son of Ali. He said, He is Hussein. Husseinun minni wa ana min Hussein. Ahabbalah man ahabba Husseina. He said to him, He is not just the son of Ali ibn Abi Talib, but he is from me and I am from him. Allah loves those who love Hussein. So Rasulullah introduced the role of Imam Hussein, spoke of the significance of Imam Hussein. Historical accounts tell us that the birth of Imam Hussein, the miraculous birth of Imam Hussein, also told the future of Imam Hussein. It spoke of the event of Ashura and beyond the event of Ashura. Traditional accounts tell us that Fatima to Zahra, while she was pregnant with Imam Hussein, while Imam Hussein was in her womb, while her pregnancy, Imam Hussein would, would speak to his mother Fatima. And he would discuss his affairs with his mother Fatima to Zahra. And this is no surprise to anyone. I tell you why this is no surprise to anyone. Because today the entire world witnesses the miracle of Imam Hussein, the everlasting miracle of Imam Hussein. This year, 25 million people are expected to be in Karbala for Arba'in. Tell me, when has this happened? In the history of which religion? In the account of which culture? According to which rituals, 25 million people go and visit a shrine of a man who was murdered a thousand years ago? But this is the miracle of Hussein. For the entire world to witness. Some people would walk 850 kilometers from Basra, from Samarra. This year there are groups from outside the country of Iraq who will walk from their own countries, from their own neighboring countries, who will walk from Iran and Kuwait all the way to Karbala. This is the miracle of Hussein. And Imam Hussein would speak to his mother. He would say to his mother, an historical account, Anal Gharib. I am the Gharib. His mother would cry. She would shed tears for him. Rasulullah would come, he would say, Ya Fatima, why is it that you're crying? She said, This child in my womb, in my womb tells me, Anal Gharib. Ya Rasulullah, will, will he be Gharib? Will he be alone? And Rasulullah would say, Ya Fatima, indeed he is the Gharib. The next day, Fatima would cry until she would faint. Rasulullah would come, Fatima, what is it that makes you cry? She said, Ya Rasulullah, he says, Anal Mazloom. I am the Mazloom. Will he be the Mazloom? Yes, indeed, Ya Fatima, he will be the Mazloom. The third day, Anal Shaheed. I am the martyr. And Rasulullah spoke of this account. Fatima to Zahra spoke of this account. Not only 
the day of Ashura, but Fatima to Zahra asks Rasulullah, Ya Rasulullah, who will be there for him? Will his brother Hassan, will his father Amir al-Mu'mineen, will I be there, will you be there? No, no one will be there. Then Fatima will say, Ya Rasulullah, then who will cry for my son Hussein? Who will mourn my son Hussein? And Rasulullah from that day, Says, Ya Fatimah, Sayatun Mu'minun, Jeelan Ba'da Jeel. Ya Fatima, believers, Mu'mineen will come generation after next. Yansibun al Ma'atim li waladikil Hussein. And they will do the Ma'atim and they will shed tears and they will cry for your son Hussein. So Rasulullah not only informed us of the event of Ashura, but the aftermath of Ashura. As Sayyida Zainab. When she was taken to the palace of Ibn Ziyad, and Ibn Ziyad says to her, did you see what Allah did with your brother and with your family? What did she say? She said a very powerful statement. She said, Yabna Ziyad, do whatever you wish. Ujhud jahdak, struggle. Try to destroy our name. Try to defame us. Try to bury us. You will never be able to remove our name, remove our goal, remove our principles, remove us from existence. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will strengthen the message of Hussein and the call of Hussein. So Sayyidah Zainab spoke of the aftermath. When Ahl al-Bayt physically had seen a crushing defeat. When the head of Imam Hussein was on top of a spear, Sayyidah Zainab says that you would not be able to bury our name. Allah will choose to give rise to the name of my brother. She spoke of the future. The same way the side of Batil was also aware of what they were doing. And they were constantly planning. And they also saw the future that one day Hussein will also be murdered. And this is an extremely important point that needs to be examined. For many of us, we come to the majalis of Imam Hussein 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, 60 years. And when we are asked, what was the result? What was the reason? What was the purpose behind Ashura? We say it was because Yazid became the Khalifa and Imam Hussein didn't want to give bay'ah to Khalifa, to Yazid as the Khalifa. No. That is why I have chosen to examine this topic with the following seven historical accounts. Those seven historical accounts that led to the martyrdom of Mawlana wa Sayyiduna Abu Abdullah al-Hussein salawatullahi alayhi. The first is the ayah that I began my lecture with. Muhammad, according to this ayah, is a rasul, is a messenger. Ma Muhammadun illa rasul, qad khalat min qablih al-rasul. There were messengers before him. Afa'in mat, if you were to die. Awqutil, or to be killed. 
انقلبتم على اعقابكم you would return on your heels you would return to jahiliya you would go back to the pre-islamic era afain mata aw qutil inqalabtum ala aqabikum then allah makes a very powerful remark allah says waman yanqalibu ala aqibay falan yadurra allah shay'a and whoever falls on his heels meaning he leaves islam he returns to jahiliya falan yadurra allah shay'a he's not harming allah Allah and His religion and His faith will not be hurt. Allah doesn't need the numbers. And Allah will reward the shakirin, those who are thankful for the message. And how are they thankful? By sacrificing for the sake of the message. This is a, a God-given promise. Why was this verse sent down? Why was this verse revealed? This verse was revealed in the battle of Uhud, three years after the migration of Rasulullah from Mecca to Medina. Many of you who have gone to Medina, you have gone to Uhud to visit Sayyid al-Shuhada Hamza, the uncle of Rasulullah, who was martyred in the battle of Uhud. It was a deadly battle. It was an extremely difficult battle and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam lost many of his brave companions. Many of his loyal companions including his uncle Hamza. And Rasulullah states, historical accounts tell us in that battle was suffering from many wounds, head to toe, he was bleeding. Some who their names are also in history, recorded in history, began to say, Qadmata Muhammad. Muhammad has been killed. Muhammad has been killed in Badr, and some of the Muslims immediately, when he, they heard this, they dropped their weapons, and they surrendered. Some of them not only dropped their weapons, they joined the opposite side. Immediately. Immediate retreat. Immediate return to the pre-Islamic era of Jahiliyyah. <coughs> and some of them, they left the battle. For three days, they left. They didn't come back. Allah revealed this ayah in the battle. That Rasulullah is a man, just like any other prophets. If he were to die, his legacy has to remain. If he were to die, it doesn't mean that you leave the faith, you leave the religion, you return to Jahiliyyah, you disregard his legacy and his message. Rasulullah came with the message of oneness, Tawheed. He came forth with a religion, not rituals and practices. And if he were to die or to be killed, you should not return to the era of Jahiliyyah. This is three years before, this is three years after the migration of Rasulullah from Mecca to Medina. After this event, go and look at the historical accounts of Bukhari, Tabari, Ibn Kathir. They state that Rasulullah came, he stood on the minbar, and he held a needle, a needle, 
He said, do you see this needle? They said, yes. He said, do you see the small hole in the needle? Well, they put the thread. Small, tiny, tiny, tiny hole. He said, some of my companions sitting here, according to Bukhari, some of my companions sitting here will not enter paradise. If a camel can go through this needle, then those companions will enter paradise. If a camel can go through this needle, then those companions will enter paradise. He spoke clearly, Rasulullah. And Rasulullah kept struggling with this set of companions, with this group of companions. And his struggle was evident. It was clear. In the battle of Tabuk, <clears throat> 14 of his companions tried to assassinate him. His own companions. Go and read the historical accounts of the battle of Tabuk. And how 14 of the Sahaba tried to assassinate Rasulullah. And Allah gave their names to Rasulullah. And Rasulullah continued the struggle with them. Until the famous event of Raziyatul Khamis. The tragedy of the Thursday. And the tragedy of the Thursday is recorded by Imam Bukhari and Sahih Bukhari and the section of illnesses. Go and look up tonight in any Muslim book, in any book of hadith, in any book of history, the account of the raziyah of Khamis, the tragedy of the Thursday. What is the story of the tragedy of the Thursday? Ibn Abbas, Abdullah ibn Abbas, the famous companion, transmitter of hadith, that's according to all Muslims, according to Bukhari and Muslim and Tirmidhi and Nisa'i. And all the ulama as a trustworthy submitter of hadith, transmitter of hadith, narrator of hadith. States that it was Thursday, the, the Thursday before the demise of Rasulullah. And we were gathered in the chamber of Rasulullah and the, and the room of Rasulullah and the house of Rasulullah and his residence. <clears throat> And Rasulullah was ill. He would sometimes faint because of his high fever. He said we were sitting next to him. When he woke, he said, give me a paper and pen for me to write for you something. If you were to implement, you would never go astray. Atuni biqalamin wa qirtas. لِكَيْ أَكْتُبَ لَكُمْ مَا إِنْ تَمَسَّكْتُمْ بِهِ لَنْ تَظُلُّوا بَعْدِي أَبَدًا Imagine this great statement. Give me a paper and pen. Ibn Abbas says present there was Umar ibn al-Khattab and he said that إِنَّ الرَّجُلَ لَيَهْجُرُ Rasool Allah has a high fever, he is ill, and he is hallucinating. He doesn't know what he's saying. He doesn't know Rasulullah. He's lost his mind. Ibn Abbas, I know some of you know this historical account. But listen to what Bukhari says. Look at the tragedy. He says, Then he said, فَقَدْ اشْتَدَّ الْمَرَضُ بِهِ 
Rasulullah is very ill. His illness has taken over him. Hasbuna kitab Allah. We only have the book of Allah. We don't need anything else. Then Ibn Abbas said the people around Rasulullah were in two groups. Some of them continued to defend Umar, saying, yes, we agree. Let's not give a paper and pen to the Prophet. Let's not allow him to write. And some of them say, no. Indeed, we have to give Rasulullah the paper and pen. And they began to argue and argue until Rasulullah says, anni, leave me. And Rasulullah did not see them until his demise. This is the tragedy of the Thursday. Raziyatul Khamis. Recorded all over history. But what is tragic is not the tragedy of Khamis. This is not the great tragedy. The great tragedy is when you examine Tabari. And you examine Tariq Al-Kabir for Bukhari. At the time of the demise of the first Khalifa Abu Bakr. When the first Khalifa Abu Bakr was also ill. He also had a fever. Omar, the same books, the same scholars state. He came in. He came in while... Abu Bakr was in his last moments. And he was holding a whip, a crop. And he would hit the people and he would say to them, Isma'u, Isma'u, Listen, and he would whip them. Listen, and he would whip them. The man wants to give his wasiya. Allahu Akbar. The man wants to give his wasiyah, he whips them, listen. Abu Bakr had a servant, a slave by the name of Shadid. The second Khalifa Umar says, Shadid, go and take this paper and pen to Abu Bakr. With Rasulullah, we refrain him from the paper and pen. With Abu Bakr, we send him the paper and pen. He wants to give his wasiyah. Shadid went, he gave the wasiyah to Abu Bakr. And Abu Bakr in one line said, My wasiyah and the khilafah after me belongs to Umar ibn al-Khattab. Shadid gave the paper to Umar. And Umar announced it to the public. This is one account of Karbala in the making. Ashura in the making. The beheading of Imam Hussein in the making. We have to be transparent. We have to be clear. We have to make sure that the entire world understands the history behind Ashura. Behind Ashura. And what was the, what was the reason? And who planted the seed? And who were the founders of the martyrdom of Abu Abdullah al-Hussein in the 10th of Muharram? Some of the historical accounts is the collection of the Qur'an and the compilation of hadith. 
after the demise of Rasulullah, historical accounts tell us, look at the book of Ihtijaj, that Imam Amir al-Mu'mineen wa Mawla al-Muwahideen Ali ibn Abi Talib, <coughs> stayed at home for six consecutive months and he read and he wrote the Quran. And after six months he came out and the Quran was on a cloth. He showed them the cloth. And he said to them that you are all aware that I know exactly where every ayah was revealed, for what reason it was revealed, on whom it was revealed. I know the tafsir, I know the ta'wil, I know the secrets of the Qur'an, and no one of you claims to have the knowledge of the Qur'an like I do. They said, yes, Ya Abul Hassan, we agree. He said that this is the Qur'an, I have compiled the Qur'an. And historical accounts state that they came and they saw what was in the Qur'an. And they read the Qur'an and they said, Ya Abul Hassan, we do not need this. Take it with you. Take it home. Even though the message while the demise of Rasulullah was Hasbuna Kitab Allah. We have the Qur'an, we need the Qur'an. But was when the Qur'an was compiled by Amir al-Mu'mineen, that Qur'an was rejected. Immediately, Umar ibn al-Khattab, in the time of the first Khalifa, made a counsel by the leadership of Zayd ibn Thabit, a 25-year-old man. Zayd ibn Thabit, with 25 other individuals who had memorized the Qur'an, they sat and they wrote the Qur'an, and they compiled the Qur'an, and they presented the Qur'an to the first Khalifa Abu Bakr. I don't want to get into the details of how the Qur'an was compiled. But I will tell you that in the time of the third Khalifa Uthman, some copies of the Qur'an were being burnt. My phone? Sallallahu alayhi wa Muhammad the second salat. The third salawat with the loudest of your voices. <clears throat> the other historical account that needs to be examined as the compilation of hadith. Bukhari, Tabari, all the books of history, even non-Muslims, have transmitted this historical account when some of the companions asked Ammar ibn Yasir of a tradition in regards to tayammum. And he quoted a hadith from Rasulullah. Umar came to him. He said, if I see you quoting hadith from Rasulullah one more time, I will jail you. I will punish you. Hasbuna kitab Allah. We only need the Quran. You do not quote hadith from Rasulullah. Quoting hadith from Rasulullah was forbidden. Go look at Sahih Bukhari. 
Go look at Sahih Muslim and the section of compilation of hadith. Jam'ul hadith. It's an entire section that speaks of compilation of hadith. A tradition narrated by Aisha. She said when my father Abu Bakr became the Khalifa, he sent his ambassadors to the Muslim world, to the Arabian Peninsula. To each village, to each tribe, to each family, to each famous companion. Stating if you have any hadith from Rasulullah, give us the hadith. Send it to the Khalifa. So she said we began to compile the hadiths of Rasulullah at home. Some were come on cloth, some on deer skin. Some would be one hadith, some would be books of hadiths. She said, until the last messenger reached the city of Medina, and he gave the last pile of hadith, the last set of hadith to my father, Abu Bakr. She said, he put the hadith, and she said, we had a mountain of hadith. We compiled a mountain of hadith. She said, my father slept that night. In the fajr of the next day, he woke up, and he set fire in those hadiths and he burned them all. Brothers, this is not a historical account that the Muslims have a disagreement on. This is not something that may or may not have happened. This is a historical account transmitted by every Muslim historian that the hadiths of Rasulullah were burned down, every one of them. And no one can transmit hadith. It was according to their law, it was illegal to transmit hadith until the time of the Khalifa Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. Umar ibn Abdul Aziz died in which year? 101 after the Hijrah. Umar ibn Abdul Aziz died in the year 101 after the Hijrah. For a hundred years after the Hijrah, hadiths were not being transmitted. It was illegal. Yes, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz came and he allowed the different madhahib to transmit hadith, to narrate hadith. Before that, it was illegal. This is the initiation of the school that attributes itself to the sunnah. Of a school that attributes itself to Rasulullah. I, I really do not want to give my own input. And I don't want to get into more disturbing accounts. But it is enough for us to say that the hadiths and the legacy of Rasulullah was all burned down. Some of them were the Friday sermons of Rasulullah. For 10 years in Medina, Rasulullah led the Friday prayers and he gave the Friday sermon. Today, not even one of his sermons is narrated in history. There were transmitters writing his sermons, recording his sermons, but yet it was, it was destroyed and annihilated by the founding fathers of the school of the sunnah. Another historical account which needs to be examined thoroughly 
is the beginning of the Khilafah of Amir al-Mu'mineen Ali ibn Abi Talib. And Karbala is still in the making. Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala Muhammad. When the third Khalifa Uthman came into power, first of all, how did Uthman come into power? Uthman came into power according to a council of individuals who the second Khalifa had appointed. And this needs a whole lecture by itself, examining every one of their personalities, their roles and agenda. They came to Amir al-Mu'mineen, they said, Ya Ali, give us your hand, we're going to give you the bay'ah. After Umar, Ala kitab Allah, wa sunnati rasulih, wa sirati shaykhain. We're going to give you the allegiance according to the book of Allah and according to the sunnah of Rasulullah and according to the path of the shaykhain, meaning Umar and Abu Bakr. Amir al-Mu'mineen said, Bay'uni, give me the allegiance. Ala kitab Allah, according to the Quran. And the sunnah of Rasulullah, But the tradition of the shaykhain, the previous shaykhain, no, my own opinion. And there is no doubt that his opinion was superior than the rest of the companions. And his knowledge was superior than the rest of the companions. They said, no, we're not gonna, going to accept those terms. And they gave the allegiance to Uthman ibn Affan. Uthman ibn Affan, when he came into power, one of the very small, tiny pictures that I can draw for you now is that he appointed his stepbrother, Walid, as the governor of Kufa. The first day when Walid entered Kufa, the Khalifa's stepbrother, he took 100,000 golden dinars from the treasury. He emptied the treasury. And he went and he purchased slave girls with them so that his palace would be occupied with slave girls because the Khalifa should not, the Amir should not get bored at home. Then he made a swimming pool with alcohol, khamr, and he would enter the swimming pool with the slave girls that he purchased, and he would drink, and he would drink, and he would drink, until one historical account says it was the time of the Fajr prayers. So he had just taken a shower in that swimming pool. He went, he wore his clothes, and he went, he led the morning prayers, but instead of two rak'ah, he prayed four. So they came to him, they said to him, Ya Amir, you prayed the morning rak'ah, but the morning prayers, but not two, you prayed with four. He said, it's no problem, if you like, I can make it eight. And of course, other forms of corruption, until those forms of corruption led to the assassination of the third Khalifa, Uthman ibn Affan. And for three days, they did not wash or bury his body. He was left in the house. They forgot Uthman the Nurain, for three days. And the house, until the neighbors, they couldn't stand the smell of the dead body, they came and they buried him. When they assassinated Uthman, 
Amir al-Mu'mineen and Nahj al-Balagha states, they came running to me. And Imam Hassan and Imam Hussein were standing in front of the door and they stampede them. And they came and they said, Ya Ali, according to any terms, whatever terms you have, we're going to give you the Khalafa. We're going to give you the Bay'ah. Amir al-Mu'mineen, before he gave them the Bay'ah, he said those famous lines. Listen to them. He said, Many people, they do not, we know that Amir al-Mu'mineen became the Khalifa. But look at the beautiful, look at the beauty of the statements of Amir al-Mu'mineen. And his beautiful condition before he accepts the bay'ah. He says, all the wealth that was stolen, that was taken away from the Muslims in the time of Uthman must be returned to Baytul Mal or else I will not accept this Khilafah. Even if women were married with this wealth, the money has to return. And even if slaves were to be purchased with this wealth, it has to be returned. If you accept the Khilafah under this condition, give me the allegiance. They gave him the allegiance. As soon as they gave him the allegiance, the allegiance was annihilated, was revoked by some individuals, by some companions. A person comes to one of the Khulafa of Bani Umayyah. He said to him, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, there is a woman, a mother, a mother who killed her children. What do you have to say about her? <clears throat> the Khalifa said, a mother killed her own children? He said, yeah. He said, I would say, La'anaha Allah. May Allah curse her. Which mother would kill her own children? Then he said to him, but Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha, she resulted in the death of 30,000 people of her children. She is the mother of the mu'mineen. And she resulted in the death and the most brutal and deadliest battle in Islamic history. She was the first person to seek the vengeance of Uthman from Amir al-Mu'mineen. Say that he killed him. Ali killed Uthman. Talha and Zubair on one side, alongside Aisha and Amir al-Mu'mineen on another. The battle of Jamal. A person comes to Amir al-Mu'mineen in the battle of Jamal. And once again, Karbala is in the making. A person comes to Amir al-Mu'mineen, he says to him, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, on one side I see Talha, on one side I see Zubair, on one side I see Aisha, on one side I see you, I see Ammar, I see Miqdad. And I'm confused, where is Haq? Where's justice? Where should I stand? Amir al-Mu'mineen didn't tell him that, follow me, don't you know that I am with haq? Amir al-Mu'mineen says to him, I'arif al-haq. Go and know what justice is. Go and know what haq is. Ta'arif man attaba'ah. You will know who's on the side of haq. <coughs> what was going on on the other side? Historical accounts tell us, that Talha and Zubair, in the time of Zuhur and Asr, 
Talha would want to lead the namaz, Zubair would push him, say, it's my, I have to lead. Well, who, who's telling you to lead? Zubair would go and lead, Talha would push him, say, I have to lead. Until it was almost time for Maghrib, from Dhuhr until Maghrib, the whole community standing for namaz, Talha and Zubair are fighting on who's going to lead the prayers. Until they went to Aisha, they said, Ya Ammul Mu'mineen, we have a big problem. Today we still haven't prayed Dhuhr and Asr because Talha and Zubair both want to lead the prayers and they keep fighting one another. So she said then allow Abdullah the son of Zubair to lead the prayers. And Abdullah the son of Zubair he wants to lead the prayers. Amir al-Mumni says, Araf al-Haq, go and look at Haq. Go and see the side of Ali, then go and see the other side. You will know where Haq is. I'm not going to tell you who is on the side of Haq. I will let you to be the judge. And then the, the battle of Nahrawan and the battle of Safin. And Karbala was yet in the making. Imagine what Muawiyah did. A man comes to Muawiyah. Muawiyah is sitting as the Khalifa of the Muslimin. The Khalifa. A man comes in and he's about to sit down. He comes, he comes, he comes. He sits right next to Muawiyah. Muawiyah says to him, Waihaka man ant tasaddarta majlisi. He said to him, who are you? You came and you sat right in the front of the gathering? Who are you? Who do you think you are? You just don't come in and sit in the prestigious position here. Do you have any special characteristics? Are you a special individual that you came and you chose an important seat? He said, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, liya man he said, yes, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, I have important virtues. He said to him, Hatiha wa illa qata'ta unuqak. He said, tell me what it is or else I'll behead you. He said to him, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, I am a speaker. I give the Friday sermon. And since the time of your khilafah, until now, I have not gone on top of the mimbar. And I have not came down from the mimbar unless I have cursed Ali, Fatima, Hassan, and Hussein. This was his virtue. This was his manqaba. Muawiyah said, Barakallahu feek. Indeed, this is a good virtue. Sit down. This was the Muslim Ummah. And this is what allowed Yazid ibn Muawiyah to take the seat of the Khilafah. And indeed, indeed, the day of Ashura was in the making for years before the year 680. Before the year 61 after Hijrah. Until the point... The time reached the point where Imam Hussein had to stand up to defend and to rejuvenate the religion of his grandfather Rasulullah. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.